So we've been thinking, the podcast. Today on episode three of So We've Been Thinking, we're joined by Amy Burval. So Amy, thanks for joining us. Hey, it's great to be here. Aloha from Hawaii. Awesome. So slight time zone difference. Um, so this is Greg from uh, half of the So We've Been Thinking team, and I'm based out of Boston. And Sean and I are super excited because we finally get to host a, a, an episode together. So Sean, quick intro. Hi, I'm Sean. I'm the other 50% of the So We've Been Thinking project, and I'm based out of Chicago. So yeah, spread out all over the world, Boston, Chicago, Hawaii, and we're super excited to have Amy on, um, particularly to talk about the idea of like creativity and remixing and um, thinking about embracing this kind of remix concept in your classroom. So to go along with the theme of So We've Been Thinking, Amy, if you could share, like, what have you been thinking about lately and diving into this world of remix for us? Yeah, I've been doing a lot of remix projects on my own, actually. Um, one of my favorite things to do to get unstuck from, say, if I have writing projects and I'm stuck with writing, is I do cut-up poetry, which is a form of remix um, popularized by William Burrow. And actually, I found out later, this is kind of cool, that Kurt Cobain and David Bowie both used this cut-up method to write lyrics. Um, Kurt Cobain actually got a little bit darker, though, of course, and <laughs> he cut up love yeah. that he never sent to anyone, and then those words became the lyrics, which I kind of find fascinating. But basically, I hire my daughter to cut up all kinds of words from magazines, and I just have it all laid out on the table. And what's really cool is you can make a little poetic phrase, um, and it's it's like a puzzle, except it's a puzzle that's easily solved. So you can do it really fast and it gives you some sense of satisfaction, but it also frees up your mind to be kind of more playful and get you out of the rut of staring at a blank page, for example, when you're writing a mess. And then what I've been doing with that, to answer your question, is I've been taking the cut up poetry and juxtaposing it on images that I find, so appropriated art from like the mid-century, which is one of my favorite time periods, like pulp fiction kind of art, and giving that art new meaning with my little poems. And I'm calling it digital Dada. And that's kind of what I've been most fascinated with lately is the, the Dadaists um, who were precursors to the Surrealists. And I really think that my next effort is going to be to bring Dadaism into the classroom. So that's kind of what I'm studying is like the original Dadaist artists and writers. Jeez, you're, you're making me go back to like days in humanities classes. Right. In college and high school. Right. I, don't know, I don't know if I'm prepared for this. Sean, go ahead. Yeah. Amy, you know, I've followed your work for a long time and I'm going to go ahead and acknowledge, well, two things. One, if you want to see some of this work, if you go find Amy's um, Instagram it's fascinating, and I always love the posts that you put out there because they always make me stop and think about what meaning is there, right? And interpreting them is actually fun. Um, and the second thing is that the first time I ever met Amy, I had been a, a social studies teacher using videos, your videos in my classroom, and it was like this excellent moment, like, she's created all this stuff. So, <laughs> I, I mean, it was just something that I'd use in the classroom. It always inspired my students. There's a unique twist to it. It always kind of leaves you asking questions. So my, I guess the question I want to follow up with is, where did your interest in remixing and um, this passion start? Where did it begin? 
I was thinking about that recently. Uh, well, you know, I grew up in the age, as as we all did, all three of us here, in, of Sesame Street, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and Muppets, right? And they did a lot of remixing of, of pop culture, uh, famous songs and whatnot, but then they would put this educational twist to them. They'd change up the lyrics. And um, I was always a fan of playing this game with my mom in the car where we would just make up our own lyrics to songs just spontaneously so when um my history for music lovers project which is what you're talking about came mm -hmm. about i had been teaching history and i was just you know cruising driving the car as a lot of good ideas happen when you're doing mundane things like taking a shower or a walk or driving the car and this this remix to abba's money 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 just popped in my head it was about henry the eighth and that's how it all started <laughs> and it like an obsession you know after henry 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 and it became kind of an obsession and also a little a bit of well how can i make these really good you know right. instead of silly like how can i put a lot of meaning and nuance into the lyrics and a lot of a lot of allusions to things that you'd only know about if you actually knew the topic, you know, so, so it became a little more sophisticated than just, you know, making up my own lyrics about history. Um, and that's how I feel about everything. It's just a playfulness, I guess, a playfulness of, it's, it's a little like Lewis Carroll, he was obsessed with wordplay, you know, and I love wordplay too. And, it's just an approach to life that is playful and mixing different things together in an unusual way to create new meaning, I guess. That's awesome. Um, so it's like remix, I think it has different definitions to different people and based on like your context and your experience. So remix to me instantly means um, like DJing and DJ culture of I'll take this um, instrumental and lay these vocals. So like a current hit, I'll take those vocals and lay them over um, maybe a slightly like outdated instrumental and it's actually a better song or it catches people's ear and then you mix that into the current song with the current background track with the current vocals. Like that's my interpretation of remix. So I'm wondering if you could help people paint a bigger picture, like maybe bigger than their context. So we, you know, we had chatted earlier about all these different ways to think about remix. So you're talking about like cut up poetry or and it makes me think the the riff on the cut up poetry is like um blackout poetry but are there other maybe bigger ways to define remix and to help people yeah there's i i kind of break it down because i do a lot of um, remix workshops and um well first i often use and i hope nobody is offended by this but i use uh an alcoholic beverage i should say an adult beverage <laughs> analogy mm. <laughs> for the difference between remix and mashup so for me remix is like it's like the long island iced tea where there's all these different ingredients in there that you know were their own thing at one time but now you've mixed them all together and it's created this new thing it's transformed something from its little bits and bots and then the mashup to me is where you can still see the distinct layers so it's like a layering mm -hmm. um like a white russian or so tequila sunrise <laughs> i'm just trying to extend the analogy here <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, 
that's how I start out. But then there's all these other parts. So for example, culture jam is kind of um, when you take something and you, it, memes are like this. When you give something new meaning and it's usually to make a commentary on society, right? Or culture or politics. Um, there's a lot of that going on right now. Um, I like, you know, even just repurposing something, reimagining what this could be, what, what other use could it be. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's, of course, there's things like juxtaposition with anachronism, putting something, you know, you see these parody accounts on Twitter that, you know, have like medieval paintings and the people are talking in them and they're talking about things we would talk about today, like being on Tinder or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And th that kind of anachronism is part of that. Um, and then of course, the collaborative remix, I really think is important that the Surrealist had a game called Exquisite Corpse, which is a term, although it's bizarre, it's still used today to mean something that is built upon um, in a community. Tim Burton did a really cool experiment a few years back on Twitter where he was going to write a book called Stain Boy or a story called Stain Boy. And he decided to do an exquisite corpse that would crowdsource the entire story. So he put out the first line and he said, use the hashtag Stainboy and come up with a second line. And it kept going and kept going. And he would choose like his favorite second, third, fourth line. And it became this crowdsourced story, which that kind of remix exquisite corpse is really fun to do in, um, in classrooms, obviously. And then there's the whole just kind of, giving uh oh i have one that's i i don't know if it's remix but i'm calling it remix and it's getting to the the essence of something like distilling it down and sometimes i call it distillation because often it's in the form of an illustration but like really boiling something down to the essence and for example um like making a haiku that would describe your favorite film like how would you describe the breakfast club in a haiku, right? So you're like boiling it down or like three emojis that would describe um, the story of Romeo and Juliet, that kind of thing, right? And that to me is a form of remix and you can do all kinds of fun things with that in the classroom. And then my, my final form is kind of playing with the environment. And there is a word for seeing patterns in in the world called pareidolia and you can use this in class by just having people find mundane objects like out of their backpack or something this at a conference like find just junk in your purse in your backpack and put it on the table and make a sculpture about what you learned at this conference and people were giving new meaning to these everyday objects they were creating you know like butterflies out of scissors and you know all kinds of things, right? But just seeing different um, ways that things can be is a form of remix. And people have done that through, you know, throughout history, but I think it's a really clever way to be creative is using this, just the creative constraints of things around you, just ordinary things to be something else. So Amy, I love hearing you talk about all the different ways that you're doing remix and bringing things together. You know, it, my initial take on remixing is that I feel like as a, a teacher of history, I know Greg and, and you have done it as well, is that you're, I feel like in a way I'm taking the past and remixing it and connecting it with things from today and finding parallels, you know, and 
um, you do such a better job of talking about remixing and how it applies to the classroom. But give me some examples that you really like. How, how can remixing add to the classroom and help students? How can it uh, be a powerful tool for teachers? Yeah, I really think, um, as far as learning goes, I think the demonstration that you really learned something and internalized it and it's become meaningful for you is if you can transform it. So beyond regurgitation. So how can you take whatever you've learned, it could be any topic, right? And do something really interesting and unique with it and, and make it your own. And, and often we get empathy for characters that we've studied in you know, history and literature. But recently I've actually done a, a math thing. I was in California working with math students and math is not my forte, let me tell you. <laughs> like, right. not my, was not my calling, let's put it that way. Um, but I thought, well, wouldn't it be interesting if you could really get inside of the characters you learn about in math, like you know parabolas. And you could demonstrate your knowledge of parabolas and how they work and, and who they work with by creating yearbook uh, superlatives, you know, like yearbook pages as if they were seniors graduating. So every kid you know, took a different math concept and created this sort of yearbook senior page for their concept. And what they had to think about were, you know, like who did they, who are their best friends? You know, okay, well, a parabola is always with this or that, or an X is always with a Y, or that's the cutest couple, you know, <laughs> things like that. And, and the key was not only did they do that, but just having to justify it, having to explain. So like if I had students in history class um, compose parody lyrics about a certain historical figure or topic to a famous pop song and make a musical, they um or music video they had to justify you know why they've included the, this particular piece of knowledge or this vocab word or this allusion to something so it's all about like the back end you know the backstory when you're dealing with kids i think people out there that just remix kind of just put it out there but i think if you're going to incorporate remix effectively in the classroom it's all about the intention behind what the student has produced and i do think that that is the highest form of learning is is being able to transform something into something new this makes me think of one of the ideas that you're a proponent of of like connecting the dots between yeah. pieces that don't seem like they're reasonable to connect and it was when i was talking with michael cohen a few weeks ago and i wish i could think of the the instagram profile he was telling me about a photographer who will take two images that are obviously not related at all and then mash them together so they're like seamlessly connected. So like, um, I'm trying to think of something like a flower on the top, but the stem transitions into a garden hose and it looks like the flower has a garden hose as the stem and they're like these seamless, um, connecting the dots perfectly to make something new and make people think creatively. So with, with that idea, right, I'm wondering, I think sometimes the, so if we could transition into this way of thinking about creativity and like remix as creativity, I think sometimes people perceive creativity or creatives as nothing but like um, genius inspiration time and time again, and maybe not like a grind that goes into it. Yeah. I, so this is a big, this is a big thing for me because I often, you know, speak on this and talk about it and I really try to live it. But I, I truly believe that creativity 
is about connecting dots. And I always say that that as teachers, we have to help students grow their dot forest. So the dots are these like metaphorical little bits of knowledge. And the more you have, the more you can curate, the more you become exposed to as you're growing up, then you can start making these connections. So metaphor and analogy have a lot to do with creativity. And I'll give you an example that I use often is when I first started I guess when I first saw uh, Tom York doing the Lotus Flower Dance, for those of you that are Radiohead fans, I don't know. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. Thank you very much. <laughs> he has this really bizarre, you know, way of dancing, moving his hands. And immediately when I saw that the first time, I thought of Aegon Sheila, the famous artist's work and his aesthetic. And I thought, oh my gosh, that would be such a great mashup if I only had the the technical ability to do that. But I immediately made that connection because, you know, way back in 10th grade in art class, my teacher introduced me to Aegon Sheila and it stuck with me for some reason. So it's way back in my little dot forest so I can connect my dots. And I really think that's kind of an interesting thing because a lot of people feel like there's this, I think it's a dangerous dichotomy between, um, you know, project-based and challenge-based and inquiry-based learning versus, traditional what they call knowledge rich curriculum or whatever and i don't think it's a fight i think you have to have knowledge in order to be creative in order to put those dots together um and i and i do think you can um train your brain to be more creative by doing um by understanding how creativity works and also by practicing things like really noticing things yesterday i was walking from uh, the grocery store with my daughter and, you know, I looked down. It's a really good idea. Look down and look up. I looked down and there was this leaf and it was the weirdest leaf. It had two holes in it and it looked just like, like a Lord of the Rings, um, like helmet. <laughs> we both started at the same time, like, oh my God, Lord of the Rings. You know, just like, and it was the weirdest thing because it was a leaf. But I mean, it was just noticing those things, how, you know, being in wonder all the time about your surroundings and really making connections, even if you don't do anything with them, you just comment on them, helps you be more creative. And it's, it's ironic that you brought up a Tom York analogy because as Greg was talking about his music in the intro, you know, um, I love mashup music. And when I first started listening to some of them, I would go and try using certain apps and tools to blend music together. And I kept finding some dissonance. I didn't know enough about it to really make the songs go together. But because of that, it revealed to me uh, things about music that I wasn't paying attention to before. And, and honestly, because you use Tom York, there's this awesome mashup of uh, Radiohead and um, it's Radiohead and Dave Brubeck. It's called Five Step. And it's a combination of these two songs and they blend together so well. And they're from such different periods that I feel like it... Um, it created a depth of understanding and appreciation of music that kind of set me on a path. And I think that blending those unlike things together reveals those truths and reveals those connections, um, which is, you know, always been something that's inspiring about education. So if I could um, ask you another question then. So you, you talk about um, remixing and if you could send a message to like teachers and educators in the classroom, what are some ways that they could start 
um, applying this in meaningful ways for their students? Like where should someone who doesn't know, you have such a great vocabulary and understanding of these concepts, where should a beginner kind of enter this? I think a good way to enter it is using metaphor and analogy. So one way is, is to have maybe a metaphor wall of just images, pictures. You can take them yourself or find them or have students take them. And then just when you come up with a lesson, like say you're studying, I don't know, the French Revolution or something, um, you can say, find a picture on the wall that represents, you know, the terror to you or represents the frustration of the people or something like that. But kind of using images as metaphors. You can do this with words too, like, um, in old um, Norse and old English literature, there's a thing called kennings. And kennings are basically like poetic ways to say something like the sea is a whale road. And it's usually like a combination of two words. And you can ask kids to think of a kenning for something that they're studying, like a new vocabulary. Well, think of, you know, an analogy basically, but a poetic one. Um, or they could do something like, using hashtags um this is kind of a fun thing to have everybody grab a post-it and put a hashtag on it because kids are used to hashtags they're you know pretty well versed in the ways that we use hashtags especially the the whimsical ways you know when it's more of a commentary on something mm. and they can they can do that um with on an image on an object they can do that um in their in their book. I actually have a friend, um, I think it's David Terrio in California, but it might be Sean Zebarth. It could be either one of them. <laughs> I'm going to give them a, both a big shout out because they're excellent teachers. But they do this really cool thing where they project text onto the, on just to the whiteboard and the kids go and hashtag the text, you know, kids, so they, they're giving it context. They're giving it sort of a new meaning and then sort of an aside, right? Using just hashtags, which is something kids are really used to. So those are just some simple, easy ways. Um, I, I do like the distillation concept of like, how can you get to the essence of something? So asking students to, you know, okay, we've just read this thing, you know, find an animated GIF that is that and go and walk around and show everybody your GIF or um, condense this thing into four icons, you know, things like that, just really getting down to the essence and then having them describe why, you know, why did I pick these four icons to describe this thing that we're just studying? Um, yeah. So that's kind of, or even just like making animated gifts themselves for a process. Like if they're studying science, you know, like make a gift. Yeah. I think they're underused. I think there's a lot of potential there. I don't know like quite where to go with it yet. The, 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 the ideas you're talking about make me think like I need to revisit that as a concept. Um, I'm a little stuck right now with that, but I'm going to keep thinking about it. What I, so the, the idea earlier, and it, it struck me when you were talking about of connecting dots and you talked about being exposed to, you know, being exposed to ideas, and then having all those ideas and the teacher being the facilitator to connect them. And then what can you turn that into? Like, what can you make? And the world that I operate in, in the world that I worked with, work with with Sean and a tech teacher is it's technology is a component of that. So I'm wondering you're like, so knowledge versus information. So 
being being you know having all that information accessible to you at any point isn't having knowledge so those dots aren't in your head already waiting to be connected so i'm wondering your thoughts on that and then what role does technology play with regards to being able to remix does it enhance the capacity does it unlock the ability to do so or you know could it get in the way because we're relying on the technology to maybe do some of the heavy lifting for us wow <laughs> that's a lot that's some big that's some depth <laughs> well i mean the first thing that i think of it the thing about remix for me is that you have established some sort of empathy for your topic like you have internalized it to the point of that you can transform it in fact my daughter once said this to me she's like if you know it, you can change it. I don't know. She just came up with me and said that because she was talking about her artwork, but I was like, okay. She, she said that like people that do cartoon animation or whatever, they know what a real, um, they know the an anatomically correct way to draw something, but they've altered it and tweaked it to the point because they know it. Right. So then now they can change it. And that was her point. So I think gaining some sort of, um some sort of meaning from whatever you're learning you know like hopping inside to a character or a historical figure or even the parabola you know really getting to understand whatever you're studying can can be expressed so beautifully if you can remix it into something else for example personifying something that isn't a person you know personifying um a chemical element have you ever seen that really cool um video out there i think it's by some norwegian college and it's basically like a dance party and every person in the video is a chemical element <laughs> they have this late they have a label on them but they they act at this dance party they act as if they were that chemical element so they repel others or they get really violent towards another person or they hug them or they draw others to them and it's really cool because get to understand more about what the chemical elements properties are but in a weird humorous personified yeah. way and I think humor is really important because humor is sticky and people remember things if they're humorous and if you can create that it gives kids an opportunity to add their own little you know bit of personality to whatever they're trying to um, show that they know I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> totally. I don't know, but I like the answer okay. and I like the discussion. Yeah, I'll take it. Um, be you know, um, Amy, one of the things I like about what you're saying, and, and, and you know, I, I try to pull together, um, there, there's many thoughts I have about the idea of remixing and, and your last answer. And I, I think that one of the great things is that ultimately remixing is telling a, a story, right? And that's what Greg and I are really trying to do with our project is to get people's stories, tell our stories um, and talk about how we can make the story of education different. But I like the idea that you're, you know, like, like the example with that video, you're telling a story that is humorous, that is fun, that is like, it lifts you up. It, it's deeper um than just saying here's this information please take this and consume it you're not depositing a story in someone's head you're allowing them to share a story um and like you said i have to say i'm honestly swimming in the last thing that you said especially i have to say i love that your daughter's quote if you know it you can change it i want to make it a t-shirt right now isn't it great i, should I love awesome. it she i love it in my room sometimes and just says these things <laughs> 
So one, one time she, she left my car, like, this is like fourth grade or something. She left the car. I'm like, do you like school? She's like, yes, but I have the answers to the questions they never ask. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Like, it's phenomenal. Like, what is this? Like, yeah, That's another t-shirt. I know, right? Like, it's just funny. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's, what's funny about Remix is that people, because, okay, so this kind of goes back to what, um, what you were saying before is about technology. Um, technology has really enabled us to not only draw from sources we wouldn't get our hands on. Like, I, I love that a lot of museums, for example, have put out their work their collections to be able to be remixed, to be, you know, as, you know, free to use and remix as we, as we like. Um, but what's funny is that although we live in remix culture and participatory culture, as Henry Jenkins would say now, it actually harkens back to the past because even in Shakespeare's time, uh, people were remixing, like things weren't canonical, things weren't set, so, like we're used to, you know, us growing up in the land of, of Gutenberg's prints, you know, that where things are in a book and they're contained and you can't change them and you can't have a conversation with the author and they're just there, you know. And I once got in a fight with a teacher about who she, she was teaching Shakespeare. And I was showing her one of my songs that I wrote about Midsummer Night's Dream. And she's like, yeah, but Shakespeare didn't say that. You, you've switched the words around. And I said, no, you know what? But actually, <laughs> actually, in Shakespeare's time, they didn't have it set down. They actually mixed and mashed the words up quite a bit. And there's scholarly work on this. And one of my favorite theories is called the Gutenberg parentheses theory, which just states that the time around Gutenberg's advent to the, to the advent of the internet was this really weird time of no remix because things were just like bound. But before that and after that, it was remix culture. So we're just kind of going back to the past. Wow. I guess I have some, some background scholarly work to do to get up to speed with those ideas. That's awesome stuff. Um, the internet has enabled us, uh, especially with the tools that have democratized our yeah. creation. You know, like we can create amazing things. Like, a, you know, a seventh grader can create really cool things that only like Brian Eno and David Bowie were creating 20 years ago or whatever. Wow. <laughs> I appreciate that you brought up Jenkins. I wrote a post recently about, you know, it's time to revisit the idea of participatory culture. And he was talking about how kids were publishing, you know, 10 years ago. And the technology was frustrating at best or not even accessible. So imagine what that has turned into today with this kind of expectation of no barrier. Um, so that's for another time as well. We're, we're coming close to our, um, our, our ending time here. So Amy, we're gonna do some super kind of lighthearted informal questions. Um, what are you listening to lately, whether it's um, music artist or podcast or whatever, what are you listening to that gets the creativity moving forward? Uh, I. <laughs> I have been listening to the Peaky Blinder soundtrack. It's <laughs> like to be honest, that is like not, but but actually, it's just got enough like darkness and, and <laughs> funkiness to get me going. But no, I have been actually. Um, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. I, I listen to a lot of um, you know jazz and stuff with no words often because that helps me when I'm working creatively. I've got a million projects laid out in my very small house of. I've been doing a lot of like multimedia creations um, 
layering. And one person I just discovered that I am in love with and totally admire her, her name is Lori Rosenwald. And she has um, a website called Rosen World and a really great TED Talk on creativity about making mistakes. And what's really cool about her and I love technology, but what's really cool about her, she says she wants to be different than all the other graphic designers. So using really cool design programs that everybody else uses, it's kind of not her thing anymore. So she just like, pairs up paper and uses all kinds of analog things. And she makes these really cool stop motions. And she's made some for David Sidaris, who's one of my favorite authors, um, his voiceovers. So anyway, that is my new project. I'm going to go all analog. Well, not totally. I want to go like analog material, but use technology to create more stop motion animation and things like that, but do it really pared down. And I think that's a good lesson because, you know, Picasso did that when he went into the caves and he saw the cave paintings. He's like, oh my God, we've learned nothing. And he, then he stripped down all his work into this super minimalist stuff. And that's kind of what I'm into right now. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. We're going we're gonna to leave it at that because that was the best okay. ending we've had so far. So Amy, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Sean, okay. any closing thoughts before we get bumped off here? No, thanks, Amy, for creating a list of things for me to look into. I can't <laughs> go look you know at all these ideas. I can give you guys that you can put post it with it. I'll, I'll create a little list of my and also my favorite apps. There's one I love in particular that I use a lot uh, for collage work uh, on my phone, which I do everything on my phone. And it's called Enlight. And it, uh, it's kind of like Photoshop for dummies, which is great for me. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> awesome. Um, so Amy, thank you so much. This is going to be great. We'll, we'll get the post up. We'll get the, the, the podcast episode up soon. Um, put all the resources, as many as we can possibly pull that Amy referred to. And we encourage everybody to start to explore a little bit of remixing in your classroom, embrace a little bit of creativity. Hey, if you, if you would like to, because you've done us the favor of joining the show, if you want to give a shout out about your, the book as well with Dan, if you'd like to. Oh yeah. So a lot of my very practical <laughs> uh, ways to remix in the classroom and, and just get creative in general are in our book, my book with Dan Ryder, who is amazing. Um, and it's called Intention Creative. Uh, critical creativity in the classroom. It's just about a year old now, and we have a really cool community on Twitter um, of teachers. This is kind of the essence of Remix. We get we made a hashtag for every activity so that we can crowdsource the way teachers are remixing our activities, and that we encourage it. And boy, are there some amazing ideas out there! So, um, so we have a whole community going, and I'll, I'll put that link in there too. Awesome. Thank you so much, Amy. Hey, Amy, thank you so much. And, you know, I, I think that um, sometimes like in class and with teachers, we feel like we need to provide people with the answers. And I think that it's so much better when people can just be inspire people to believe that they can do something and to try something. And I really feel like today, like what you shared and the work that you share online is exactly that. It's muse work to help people be inspired to do different and exciting things. So thanks. I like that. Muse work. I'm naming my next book. I think it's going to have the word muse in it. So you're like on to something. <laughs> no, I, you know, it's true. Like if you, you can, you can tell people what to do and we all know how that works out or you can inspire people to find uh, a way to express an idea in their own passion. And I think that that's something that um, I think you, you do that well with your voice. Aww, thank you, Sean. Hey, no worries. Thank you.
it was so nice to get to talk to you again, and I'll have to get out there to the East Coast and awesome. the West sometime soon. Awesome. Absolutely. Thanks, All right. Take it easy, everybody. Bye. Bye.